Chapter Eleven of Elizabeth Longfrock. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Elizabeth Longfrock by Hans Arnold, translated by Laura E. Paulson. Chapter Eleven. Elizabeth appointed head milkmaid. It was the first Sunday after Easter, early in the morning. Elizabeth sat by a small table in her little sleeping room. With one elbow leaning on the table, and her hand under her chin, while she stared down at a big black book which lay open before her. The book was the New Testament, and Lisbeth's lips moved softly as she read. That morning, for the first time in several years, she had not gone into the cowhouse. Kirsty Hurl had said that she was to have a couple of hours in which she could be alone. No one was to disturb her. She sat there, somewhat stiff and helpless, in a long black dress with a strip of white at the neck. The dress seemed to her rather tight, so tight that she held her elbows close to her side and hardly dared to bend her back. It was the first time she had had a close-fitting dress on, her usual costume being a jacket and skirt. Her light hair was drawn smoothly back and twisted into a knot at her neck. That was for the first time, too. She was a trifle paler than usual, and her lips, as she moved them, were dark red and dewy, but her eyes shone with peace. All in all, she was beautiful as she sat there in her little room, waiting for church time to come. This was the day that she was to be confirmed. A knock was heard at the door, and in stepped Kirsty Hurl. She also was dressed in her very best an old-fashioned black dress with a gathered waist and a freshly ironed cap with a frill around the face and strings hanging down. In her hand she carried the big psalm-book, a handsome one printed in large type, which she used only on the greatest occasions. On top of her psalm-book lay a neatly folded pocket-handkerchief. Standing still for a moment and looking earnestly at Lisbeth, Kirsty said, "'Do you think you are ready now, Lisbeth?' Lisbeth answered quietly, "'Yes, I think so.' "'Then it is time for us to start. "'Come, let me tie your kerchief "'so that your hair will not get untidy.' She tied the kerchief on Lisbeth's head, and then they went slowly out through the hallway. Outside at the door stood the broad wagon with a military horse harnessed to it. "'You may come and sit up here by me, Lisbeth,' said Kirsty. So they both got into the wagon and drove off. Not a word was spoken the whole way. As they drove down the hill from the farm and out on the main road, they were encompassed by all of the effervescence of spring, its myriads of sights, sounds and odours. The brooks and rivers rushed tunefully along, birds by the thousand were singing and calling, insects were buzzing, trees and plants of many sorts were pouring their fragrance over the whole valley, and above it all stood the sun, shedding down its glittering light. But these things failed to arouse in Lisbeth the feelings they usually awakened. They had instead the effect of a roar and disturbance, of something inharmonious that caused her to quiver with discomfort. Involuntarily she drew nearer to Kirsty on the wagon-seat. She felt a longing for one thing only, silence. Thus they drove for a while along the sunlit road. 
Then suddenly a broad wave of sound came rolling toward them. The church bells were adding their tones, broad, peaceful, sure, to the general chorus. They did not drown the sounds of spring, but took them up, as it were, and ordered them, harmonized them, used them as a gentle accompaniment, so that the whole world seemed like a great psalm singing and organ playing. At the sound of the bells there came to Elizabeth a feeling of peace, solemnity, and holiness, such as she had never known before. She felt lifted up. A change came over the world about her. Everything became lighter, loftier, as if prepared for a sacred festival. She felt a mighty gladness within her. From that time on she had but a confused consciousness of what took place. On arriving at the church she thought that the gathering of people around it had never been so large or so reverent in demeanour, and that the church had never looked so tall and shining. As she went inside and walked up the church aisle she felt very erect and free. The same wonderful light was within the church, too, and when she looked down at the lines of those who were to be confirmed with her, as they stood with bowed heads on each side of the middle aisle, she thought that their faces were strangely radiant. When the priest came into the chancel, it seemed to her that he was much larger than ever before, and that his face was oh so mild. He began to speak, and though she did not really hear or understand what he said, she felt that it was something great and good, and it thrilled her like music. As soon as the psalm-singing began, she joined in with a stronger voice than usual, her breast swelling involuntarily. When it came her turn to be questioned, she hardly knew whether she had heard what the priest asked or not, but she was sure nevertheless that her answer, which came forth clear and firm, was the right one. And when she knelt down and gave the priest her hand, as the ceremony required, it seemed to her that the awkward figures in the old altar pictures smiled benignantly upon her. She did not come wholly to herself until the confirmation ceremony was entirely over, and she had gone to her seat beside Kirsty Hurle in one of the church pews. As Lisbeth drew near, Kirsty took her hand and said half aloud, May it bring you happiness and blessing, Lisbeth. Lisbeth stood for a moment, looked up at Kirsty as if just awakening, smiled and whispered softly, Thanks, Kirsty Hurle. Then, when the service was over, they walked out of church. Outside the church door stood Jacob and Peter. They lifted their caps to Kirsty and shook hands with her. Afterward they shook hands with Lisbeth, lifting their caps to her too, which had not been their custom before her confirmation. They also said to her, May it bring you happiness and blessing. After that, Kirsty and Lisbeth walked about the grassy space in front of the church. They made slow progress, because there were so many people who wanted to greet the mistress of Hill, and to ask what girl it was that she had presented for confirmation on that day. At last they reached the broad wagon, to which the horse had already been harnessed, and mounting into it, they set forth on their homeward way, returning in silence as they had come. Not until they reached home did Kirsty say, You would like to be alone a while this afternoon, too? Yes, thank you, responded Lisbeth. 
In the afternoon Lisbeth Longfrock again sat alone in the little room in the hallway. Bear Hunter, who had now become blind, lay outside her door. Whenever he was not in the kitchen, where as a rule he kept to his own corner, he lay at Lisbeth's door, having chosen this place in preference to his old one on the flat stone in the front of the house. To lie on the doorstep, where so many went out and in, and nowadays they went so rudely, was too exciting for him. But Lisbeth always stepped considerately. As Lisbeth sat there in her room, she was not reading in any book. In fact, she was doing nothing at all. Spread out on the bed before her lay her long frock, which she had not used that winter. It looked very small and worn. When she had come into her room, where the afternoon sun felt slantwise upon the coverlet of her bed, picturing there the small window-frame, she had had a wonderful feeling of peace and contentment. It seemed to her that there was not the least need of thinking about serious things or of reading either. She felt that the simplest and most natural thing to do was merely to busy herself happily, without putting her thoughts on anything in particular. She had no earthly possessions of value, but she did have a small chest which she had received in the second year of her stay at Hurl, and in this chest there was a tiny side-box, and also a space in the lid, where she had stored away the little she owned that seemed worth keeping. She had pulled the chest forward and opened it. To take the things out, look at each one, and recall the memories connected with them, was very pleasant. There was the good-for-nothing old pocket-knife that had been given her to Biola the first summer on the mountain. Then there was a letter from Ola, too, that she had received the last autumn, and that no one knew about. In it he had asked if he might send her and Jacob tickets to America after she had been confirmed. She had not answered the letter yet, but she would do so soon now, and thank him, and say she was not coming, for she knew that she could never leave Norway. And then she took out the goat-horn that Peter had given her. She was seized with a strong desire to play on it, but did not dare to, because it would sound so strange in the house. Next to the place where the goat-horn had lain was a silk neckerchief that Peter had given her for Christmas. He had sent it by Jacob. She herself had not seen or spoken with Peter since that Sunday last year when he had found her on the mountain, until to-day at the church. And there was the letter she had received from Jacob in regard to their meeting at Peerout Castle. It was the only letter she had ever had from him. Jacob was not one to write much. But she had a few small gifts that he had sent her. Down at the bottom of her chest lay a kerchief that she had never taken out before, her mother's kerchief. It seemed to Lisbeth that now was the first time she had really dared to think about her mother. She took out the kerchief and spread it on the bed, and when, as she did so, her eye caught sight of her old long frock hanging on the wall, she spread that, too, on the bed. Then she seated herself and gazed upon these simple objects. The time had arrived when it was possible for her to look back without becoming hopelessly sorrowful, when she could ponder over the rich memories which these poor relics hid, the memories from Peerout Castle not being the least precious. 
She sat nourishing these thoughts a long time, beginning at the beginning, as far back as she could remember, and going forward to this very Sunday. The memories came easily, and in regular succession, and all of them were good memories. Everything that had seemed hard at the time either had been forgotten, or was seen now in a softer light. Suddenly there came a knock at the door, and before Lisbeth had had time to conceal the things or presence of mind to rise from her chair, in walked Kirsty Hurl. Lisbeth saw that Kirsty noticed the things at once, but she was not in the least embarrassed, for Kirsty only smiled kindly and said, I see that you are thinking about your mother to-day, Lisbeth, and that is right. But now come with me into my room. There was something I wished to talk with you about. Lisbeth was half alarmed at this, for never before had Kirsty spoken so seriously to her. But she rose quietly and did as she was bidden. Kirsty went ahead through the kitchen and across to the door of her own room, Lisbeth following close behind. The others in the kitchen looked at them curiously, wondering what was going to happen. Once in her room, Kirsty took a seat beside the table and asked Lisbeth to sit at the opposite side. Then said Kirsty, You are now grown up, Lisbeth Longfrock, and hereafter you will be free to decide things for yourself. I have kept the last promise I made to your mother, and I can to-day say that it has been only a pleasure for me to do so. You have turned out well, as may be expected of every good girl. If you do as well in the future, I really believe that your mother would be satisfied with both you and me. But from to-day I have no longer any right to decide things for you. You must decide for yourself what you will do, and what you think is right. I will therefore ask you, and you are to choose with entire freedom, whether you wish to stay with me any longer, or whether, now you are to earn your own living, you would rather try something else. I can add that I should very much like to have you stay here. For a while there was a deep silence. Then Lisbeth looked up with big tears in her eyes, and said, I should like to stay with you, Kirsty Hurl, as long as you are pleased with me. That is what I thought, and therefore I have also thought of another thing. Of course you are very young yet, but it is not always unwise to put responsibility on young shoulders. You have shown yourself so faithful and capable, not only at the cow-house, but at the cedar at well, that I have no fear in entrusting both to your care, if you wish it to be so. I will now appoint you head milkmaid at Hurl Farm. End of chapter 11 End of Lisbeth Longfrock